electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Bad Intel shares of the chip giant sliding after its latest earnings report, despite beats on the top and the bottom line. So is this the signal to sell the semis? We'll dive into that trade. Plus, Humana Humboldt shares of the health insurer with their biggest drop in over two years after saying earnings this year would be about half street expectations. Why one of our traders says things are way worse than just the numbers. And later, Tesla Tank shares plunging after the EV company warned of a slowdown this year. The stock now down over 25% already this year. What the analysts are saying right now about this once unstoppable stock. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with that big chip dip. Shares of Intel trading near after hours lows. After giving a less than stellar outlook, the earnings call just getting started. Let's get the details on the numbers with Christina parts Nebulis, who joins us here on set. We don't have to worry because I just spoke to Intel before coming to set, so they gave me the lowdown as, as to what I was going to miss. I'm serious about and that. And we were so, worried. <laughs> well, uh, clearly investors are worried. Uh, the magnitude of the guidance miss was a little bit larger than anticipated. They outlined to me what they'll say on the call, three reasons for that. Mobile eye. Reason for that is Intel owns, you know, at 90% of that company. So it's obviously going to impact their revenue stream. Mobile eye makes the autonomous driving assisted technology, ADAS. Uh, and they announced this morning uh, some weakness. And then the second part is the programmable solutions business, which is chips that are made for specific tasks. That was a little bit weaker across the board. And that makes sense as IT budgets shift towards more AI type uh, products or GPUs. And then lastly, the foundry business came in also weaker than anticipated. Uh, They said some of that has to do with packaging. So those are the three factors. If we talk about Intel's business, though, three core businesses, PCs, servers, uh, as well as networking, there was weakness, and they do anticipate an 11% drop in Q1. But I was told that sequentially, I mean, seasonality, that falls in line. Normally, it's about 8 to 11%. So they're going to really push that on the call. Because, you know, in December, holiday sales, refresh, right. all this, Q1 is usually a little bit lower. And so that's what they're going to push. We knew that all, though. Yeah. We knew that Q1 was a seasonally weak period for PCs. But that's, that, that's going to be their argument. And, but yeah. yet, the first quarter revenue guidance was as much as $2 billion less than what the street was expecting. Yeah. So they're just going to say it's mobile and seasonal seasonality? Well, those three factors. That's what you told me. That's why the, the billions dollars of a hit uh, with those three factors. That's well, what they're going to list. What about DCAI? What about data center? Because so this see, is market share loss that people think just doesn't end. Did you see Intel. in Q4 data center revenue was down year over year? Right. So uh, it came in at $4 billion, which is still down 10%. I asked about that as well. Admitted they have lost market share That's to not, AMD. No, no surprise which, there. Which we already know. Um, but the positive thing that, or I guess the last sentence that they said is that for every uh, quarter, earnings as well as revenue, they expect sequential growth and year-over-year growth for 2024. But they won't really uh, change anything for their full fiscal year 2024 outlook or anything like that. So they're obviously they're trying to put a positive spin, but uh, those are pretty big rea- It's a pretty negative reaction for uh, guidance. That's. I don't want to be the defender of Intel here. And my grandmother used to say, little guy, if you have nothing nice to say. Little guy being you. Not, and not, right. not, yeah. not, not you were small or just little, <laughs> hey, little guy. Hey, little guy. 
both. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the quarter actually wasn't all that bad. Client computing is half of their business. That was up 33% year over year. Yes, data set are down 9.9%. I get it. It's all about the guide, which is really, really bad. But again, you say to yourself, did Intel sort of figure this out? Now, the good news, I guess, is the quarter was good. The bad news is the stock has doubled since February of last year. It's gone from basically 25 to 50 in a straight line on the back of all the other tech names, semi names, which I get. I think the question you have to ask yourself is not should I necessarily be selling it, but where do I buy Intel on this sell off? Where do you buy it? Yeah, I like that. Would you want to buy it? Well, it's interesting, right? This was a late one during the party, what, a couple months ago. Yeah. And to Guy's point, I mean, obviously it's up 100% a year over year from the lows, uh, you know, early in 2023. But this is a stock that, like, the street has not been behind. Like, there's the lowest percentage of buy ratings on the stock that I can remember in Intel in a very long time. It's like 12 buys, 30 holds, and 7 sells. So the street, the expectations were so low. Like, like analyst expectations were really low. Investor expectations have been really low. Um, I I mean, to Mel's point, when you see that sort of revenue guide, you know what I mean, for the current quarter that they're already one month into, there's a good chance it comes in at the low end of that. And then the seasonality issues that you have, some of the share loss issues you have push into the next quarter. These are not usually one quarter sort of things. So your question, Guy, is like, where do you buy it? It's probably somewhere with a three handle when it starts to look cheap on the out year numbers, because you're almost going to have to at some point in Q2 kitchen sink 2024. So remember when semis used to be sort of uh, cyclical, right? Yeah. And they would trade in different kinds of multiples. I mean, so this one sort of the whole space obviously defied that. But Intel now it was before today's loss in the after hours, what, 20, 18 times what were going to be better earnings, I think. Right. So to me, I think there's still a ways to go down to your point. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a three handle. This kind of revenue miss is Enormous. I'm not buying the seasonality thing. No, we've not known at all. it's going to be Christmas for a long, long hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, since the and beginning of Intel history. We exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's as you said, caught up in the whole bubble. But I think it deserves a pretty big penalty now. But it's uh, unfortunate. Back to the penalty box for them, I think. Well, the guide we're all talking about, so we should talk about it. And Mobileye should not be underestimated. And, and I think again, concern on what's going on with the data center because they're 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 losing ground. But there was nothing in this print that we didn't know. We knew client business was strong. We knew that they were ultimately going to put some kind of a drag on Mobileye into the quarter. We we knew that it was up 80 percent. And, and I, I think the fact that the street's so negative and I think investors are under underweight here, I think it's a positive. And, and so, look, I don't like this. I'm long Intel. I've been adding into this strength. And, and really, a lot of this kind of started in the mid 30s. So back to levels, um, you know, Dan at least is, is targeting. We get to they're pointing out. You know, AI is nascent for us. I mean, they're, they're not really. I mean, this is all about global manufacturing, foundry. Um, these are the places where also this is like this is chip USA. So just be clear, this is a stock that at some point everybody's going to get behind because they have to get behind it. I'm not saying investors have to own it here, but I, I do think that the, the bigger story for Intel is going to be about re-rating. And I do think it's going to be about the broadening of their business that right now, frankly, they're losing to AMD. So just two points to that. Dan, you said that there was a lot of negativity on the street. There has been a little bit of a shift 
shift maybe towards neutrality. I have seen a tone change, so I know it's not much, maybe not suggesting buy, but it seems like a lot of people are waiting for, one, the Q1 uh, foundry business that will be uh, in, uh, created as a standalone business in Q1. What will that bring? And then that leads me to your point about, you know, making everything in the U.S. Today they announced a, uh, they're joining forces with UMC, which is a, a Taiwanese foundry business. The reason why I bring this up is they're going to be focusing on mature notes, something that lacks in the United States and something that China is gaining a lot of ground on. So this could be an opportunity, but that's far out. Again, it's 2027. So are you buying into this name, holding on for several more years, or are you just going to think there's going to be more blunders or just the, throughout the year with their product launches, et cetera? So I know that's for you guys. I don't trade. Well, to the guy who said he would look to buy it. Little guy. Where, little guy. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm little. In my family, I'm still a little guy. You know, I have aunts yeah. and uncles. I mean, no, nobody cares. I understand. Are they all guy? No, but I'm <laughs> a little guy. Good question. But again, are they name guy or are they a little guy? Well, my father like was guy. Yeah. Now Not we're right. the yeah. an entirely different yeah. show. Yeah. It's like one of those ancestry And your second things. son. Precisely. But that's a whole other story. What's the level? So 25 to 50, 75, half of that, 37 and a half. I think Dan said three-handle. Tim said mid-30s. That's your level. And it makes sense. And quickly, again, not to be the Intel apologist here, operating margins were a lot better than the street was looking for. They came in almost 17%. The street was at 13.8 or so. And it's up significantly since last year, which should be, which was an absolute disaster. So, you know, Pat Gelsinger does his push-ups. He did one push-up on stage. Was that right? Was that the, the, my... Are you serious? Is isn't that, that right? No, he that's, does that. He that's does such that. a yeah. weird Not one. Uh, so sometimes, yeah, he does drop to the floor and yeah, then gets right back up. Which is, yeah, yeah he should stop. Well, and let's uh, focus on... Do more than one. Or do more than <laughs> one. Listen, I, I just think we're in a market where like, a stock like this, and to Tim's point, you know, it's going to come your way. Like, there's nothing that they said, and there's nothing that they guided to, and there's nothing that's going to change in the next couple months that's going to change the story. That's just a fact, okay? I'd be focused on AMD that reports next week that's actually doubled in the last three months. Think about that. I mean, like, and think about the expectations. And this is not a company like NVIDIA that doubled its revenues last year from the prior years. This is supposed to have their revenues up this year. This is the inflection point, up 20%. And you think about where that stock's trading, where the expectations are, that makes me nervous. Christina, thank you. Great Thanks. to see you. Keep us posted on the call. Yeah. Christina parts and All right, let's get more on Intel. Bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster. He's a managing partner of Deepwater Asset Management. Um, Gene, Gene, what's your take? Are you as dour as some of these guys here on the desk? You know, Melissa, I was, I was doing a multitasking there. I was listening to the call and kind of picking up a little bit of negativity from the from the desk. So uh, appreciate that recap. Uh, the answer is yes, I am. And the call kicked off really talking about Intel being an AI everywhere company and also talking about this near term uh, weakness in March was temporary. You saw shares kind of move up a couple percent in after hours trading when they when they talked about that. And also talked a lot about new products. And I think that that is, I think, the central point to this whole Intel story is, will their new products uh, catch on with potential customers? And when they talk about the AI opportunity and being an AI everywhere uh, company, the uh, opportunity is really the sweet spot of this is in the GPU market. This is the most competitive market. We all know this. And when we think about where this company is going to go down the road to get to, they're going to grow revenue this year, I call it 15% maybe, to get to a revenue growth rate that is uh, going to be more AI paradigm shifting, like 25, 35% plus, you got to get into that GPU market. And I just have questions about how you're going to compete with uh, essentially, number one is NVIDIA, two is AMD, three is the hyperscalers, they're all making their own chips. And so 
so they're in the fourth position trying to compete in this market. Uh, my sense is that this is Intel's growth. It's going to grow at 10 to 15 percent. We're not going to get uh, the big lift uh, that we're hoping for with uh, with AI. So what should it be valued at if it's only going to grow 10 percent? And that's that's the run so, rate here. It's uh, right now it's trading at about 27 times next year's earnings. It's uh, it's kind of a sim surprising, a similar uh, multiple that NVIDIA trades at. They're about 30 times because people are looking at NVIDIA, uh, what kind of the out year is going to be a slowdown there. Uh, when you look at AMD, that trades at 46 times. So if you put all this together, Melissa, I think that this should probably trade right around where it's at and probably grow earnings right around 10%. And when I put the whole all the pieces together, I just think there are better ways to play the AI silicon opportunity. So, Gene, you just mentioned uh, that Intel, not only do they have to worry about catching up to, let's say, NVIDIA and AMD, but the hyperscalers, which are the big customers, right? So these big cloud players, Microsoft, Google, they've all signaled that they are, as you just said, going to be designing and making their own GPUs. Doesn't that just place these kind of second tier players that much further behind, which you're suggesting, but doesn't it pose a risk for NVIDIA and AMD as we get further into this year? And as the cost of compute is something that they are really going to have to start thinking about as they're trying to go commercializing a lot of these products, that's the hyperscalers. Yes, is the answer. I think that from a competitive standpoint, NVIDIA is... Uh, they're in a great spot, but they're going to have more of a challenge in the years to come. They've gotten just nothing but good news in the last few weeks, whether it's come from Meta or there's been rumors about how much Apple is spending with NVIDIA. So this is a great time for NVIDIA. But these big tech companies, they don't like spending $5 billion, $10 billion a year with NVIDIA. They want to try to do that uh, in a much more cost-effective way. This is, we're talking about 30% of many of these companies' CapEx is being spent on NVIDIA chips. And so I think that there is a, an opportunity for these hyperscalers to do better there uh, competitively. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. And you do see some of those street estimates going. We're talking about 300% growth for NVIDIA this year, going to high 40s for, excuse me, high 40s this year and next year call it high teens. And so um, I think that uh, the I'm, I was, I'm not suggesting that NVIDIA is the best way to play the silicon play. I think there are private ways to do that. Uh, those are opportunities. So uh, yes, I think that the kind of untold story when it comes to silicon is related to what the hyperscalers are doing. Here's a bit of an Uncle Charlie for you, Gene, but I know you're, you're capable. That's a curveball. And, and, in that. layman's terms, and she knows that as well. Thank by you. Way. I did not know that. Of course, you <laughs> yeah. You're googling it now. I am. <laughs> Understanding that Intel might actually be a bit of a homeland security play, given everything that's going on in this political landscape. Potentially, what could happen in November, and then you know, new sanctions against China? Could there be a re-rating on Intel just on the back of that alone? Uh, yes, at Deepwater, we owned Intel. We owned it uh, a year plus ago, and uh, we gave up on it uh, when they just kept having these, these issues. And one of the central reasons why we owned it was for that, is that this uh, kind of domestic theme, I think it is a benefit for, for companies like Intel. I think it's in the benefit category. Un unfortunately, when I put that, uh, that positive and think about the other uh, competitive dynamics and the product dynamics and also the fact that they're not only building chips uh, designing chips but also building them the only other company that does that in the world is samsung and they don't do a very good job on it is uh when you put all that together i think uh guy that is a positive but i don't think it changes the the calculus on the stock 
Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. I want to go back to something you sort of touched on. Do you think that the street is too high for the out maybe two or three years in NVIDIA? Or could the pie grow into that? So when I think about the that 2025 number, uh, do I think it's too high? No, I think they actually probably can exceed that. Ultimately, I think they can exceed that as the answer. There is going to be more competition. Maybe that ends up happening in 2026. It's hard to do chips. We've learned that. And so uh, there is going to be growing competition. I think the street is is generally properly modeling how this NVIDIA, this massive spike is going to uh, go up and then kind of come back down. It's they're actually, I think analysts are doing a, a pretty good job of, of thinking about 2025. Gene, and then what's the read through to AMD on any of the negativity for Intel? Is this AMD positive? And then more broadly, we've had a monster, I mean, a monster relative, even a group that moves in monstrous ways uh, in the chip space year to date. I mean, does this make sense to you? So AMD, we had the stock, and I mentioned, uh, I don't know if I mentioned the multiple, you know, trading at a f high 40s multiple. And then we also have the, uh, you know, kind of the fundamentals and how that's going to play out. I think from a fundamental perspective, things are going to be fine for AMD. I think ultimately that they are gaining share. I think this uh, softness that uh, Intel is talking about, I think they talk about Mobileye. That's a little bit of an excuse in my book. I think that there's other parts of their core business that just aren't seeing the traction they want to see it right now. I think everyone knew about Mobileye, and uh, Mobileye blew up uh, a few weeks ago, so that shouldn't have been a surprise to any of the estimates. So to answer your question, I think the fundamentals for AMD are fine. I don't have a strong sense on the stock, just given the valuation relative to uh, what NVIDIA is trading at. It seems like NVIDIA is actually a better opportunity now. All right, Gene, thank you. Great to hear from you on Intel. Gene Munster, uh, Intel shares are down about 8% uh, right now as the conference call uh, gets underway, Dan. Yeah, I, I think what he had to say about NVIDIA is probably the most important thing. Again, you know, one of the things that I got wrong on a couple of occasions last year was just how this company was going to grow into those out-year estimates, given the bump that they had in guidance and then the, the continued outperformance that they had. But if you look at fiscal 25, and that's going to be the quarter they're going to be in, uh, you know, right, right now, they, they're expecting high teens earnings growth and high teens, you know, mid to high teens sales growth. It's a 74% gross margin company that he just told us is going to have a lot more competition, not just from the upstarts that are going to compete on price, but also from their customers, right? So the story gets harder from here, even if they beat what looks like modest estimates you know what I mean, going forward. So the NVIDIA story to me is going to be very interesting. And now granted, this stock is up 25% in a straight line in three or four weeks or so. All of their customers are going to be reporting next week. I think you want to keep a close eye on this one too, because this could be an accident waiting to happen. A lot of enthusiasm has been pulled forward right here. Is your conviction faltering at this point? My conviction wasn't that they were doing anything near term in, in AI. My conviction was that it, Pretty much every quarter this happens. And, and so I think the stock's going to trade what it, where it is. I think this is an opportunity. So I, to be clear, I'm not as negative as everybody here. And this is weakness I'm buying. Not tomorrow. All right. We will stay tuned into the Intel call and bring you all the headlines as we have them. And we have even more earnings coming your way. Shares of Visa, Capital One, T-Mobile, all on the move after results. We'll bring you the numbers from the quarters straight ahead. But first, a huge buzzkill in the insurance space. Shares of Humana tanking after a dismal forecast for the year. One of our traders says it's hard to overstate how bad that report was. The details on why when Fast Money returns. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A buzzkill on Humana. The health insurer sinking over 11% after reporting Q4 numbers and giving full-year profit guidance that was nearly half of what analysts had expected. Humana citing soaring medical costs with more patients undergoing procedures they had put off during the pandemic. The move coming just a week after the company warned costs were running higher than expected in Q4. Shares are now at their lowest level since April 2020. So, wow, yes, this is an example of a stock going down on the same thing. And it was even worse than just a couple weeks ago. It's even worse. It's even worse in that had they said nothing two weeks ago and only said this, then you would have thought, all right, well, okay, this is a change for sure. The one thing to understand about why earnings move so much from this medical loss ratio being 2% worse is that they operate the business at low to to mid-single digit net profitability. So if your biggest expense is 2% off, that digs in a huge amount into your overall profitability. So that's why they missed so much. But I cannot understand why they didn't think, all right, we had a big fourth quarter, much more use of, right? Uh, So the MLR ratio, medical loss ratio, was very high. And then not waiting to see, could it continue? They just, it seemed like they, the most innocuous cases, they thought, all right, every big rush at the end of the year, you know, get procedures, whatever, whatever the costs were. But to then we, we know it takes a little while for claims to come in to not wait and see, wow, does this very dramatic trend change? Mm-hmm. Is it going to continue that? I don't understand at all. So now this looks way worse. The best is that they didn't know it was coming. The worst is that they did. Didn't know it was coming. Right. Uh, so that would be worse. Let's say that's not the case. I just they, they really just uh, screwed up the delivery of what wasn't good news already. The flip side, mm-hmm. though, is that the good news may be that they are assuming that these, you know, the that higher usage new, rates right, are going to continue rate. and be sort of the new normal. They're talking about a reset for the entire industry, having to either raise prices or, or claw back in terms yeah. of the benefits that they do offer uh, under their plans. And the, so maybe it's conservative. Well, the, the problem with that is I think they've said that the industry is going to reprice, but they're going to grow slower than the industry. I mean, there's nothing. Like they're kind of like throwing it, you know, like, yeah, it's bad times and why it's going to be worse for us. So I didn't like that either. Average price target is $525. So analysts are completely off sides. I think somebody, Deutsche Bank cut today down to 360, which is where the stock's trading. But they, Karen knows this probably, they cut their guidance in terms of EPS basically in half. They took it from $30 to $16, which is incredible in a week. I mean, to your point, it's a, 
that's the thing. The optics around it are even make it worse. So the guide is terrible. The optics may be even worse than the guide. You're in Elevance. Uh, right. Different businesses. Different business. Their, their MLR, which they came out, I don't know, a couple days ago last week, was actually a tiny beat, a little bit better than expected. The earnings were good. The stock was down minimally today. But um, I, just the delivery of that bad news is so poorly done it's going to, I mean, would you, would you be, feel comfortable saying, all right, they're conservative this time? I wouldn't. Yeah. And I'm sort of intrigued by cheap valuations. It's a wait and see. All right. Coming up, more after hours action after the break. Shares of Visa dropping on results. We'll bring you the details from the quarter next. And some key stock moves in today's session catch your trader's eyes. An equipment renter rises, the latest on Boeing's fallout, and PayPal's AI upset. How to trade all these moves ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Visa and Capital One, both lower after their earnings reports. Kate Rooney has been listening into the call. She joins us with the latest. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, so some deja vu with Visa's commentary today. Once again, management calling consumers resilient. CEO Ryan McInerney on the call just now saying we are off to a solid start in 2024. Consumer spending remained resilient. We have heard that before from Visa, citing holiday shopping, travel, and just more overall spending. But U.S. spending and cross-border did slow in January. That does appear to be what's hitting the stock after hours. But revenue was up 9% in the quarter. Earnings rose 11%. Payments volume was up 8%. All that was better than expected. Cross-border volume, excluding intra-Europe, was up 16%. Visa did forecast second quarter revenue that came in a bit below estimates. So that is also weighing on shares here. Growth is up double digits, but does appear to have plateaued in recent quarters. So expectations were high going into this. And then there's Capital One. So the bank increased provisions for credit losses to $2.9 billion. Revenue growth was slow. It was only up 1%. And the net charge-offs climbed to $2.5 billion. That was up from $2 billion in the prior quarter. Delinquencies, that is another key thing Wall Street's watching. 30-day delinquency rate was 3.99%. That was up from 3.71% in the prior quarter. Also, shares down of Capital One. After hours, Mel, back to you. All right, Kate. Thanks. Kate Rooney uh, in San Francisco for us. Uh, we, we heard bits and pieces of the Capital One stuff from Discover when they reported and stock was down then. Along and we, with the right. And we were going to say, let's say, wait and hear what Capital One says. And then subsequently, the extent that American Express gets lit. Yes. So Capital One basically reinforces what I thought was going on with Discover. Number one. Visa, though, I mean, this is, you know, Kate said she's seen this before. It seemingly happens every quarter. Runs up, makes a new all-time high into the quarter. They report, good quarter, nothing, stock sells off. A week later, it's making a new all-time high. You can look at a chart, and it tells you exactly that. There's nothing not to like about the Visa quarter, in my opinion. And once again, weakness in the stock should be bought. Visa should be rallying along with the rest of the stock market that's rallying around growth that may or may not be there. In other words, I think it's the ton of stock that should be feeling both the momentum of 
consumer, the GDP prints of today, et cetera, and frankly, a pole position in payments that I think a lot of people underappreciated three or four years ago. Question is, what do you do with the valuation? And the question is, what do you do with growth that says low double digits, low double digits, excuse me, for the full year, which I think is probably a little lighter than people expected. But it was a good run into this, and I think that's really the reaction in the stock right now. Yeah. Karen? I thought you were going to ask about Capital One. Oh, you can ask about Capital Yeah, you can talk about Capital One. You can right. your <laughs> choose your own. People do it all the time. Adventure. Yeah. We used to do that. I, I didn't think Capital One was bad, really. I thought, I mean, it was it, a, a tick up higher, maybe a little bit more than a tick. But we, I, I think after Discover, we were expecting something worse. worse than that. And it's already had a really big run going into this. So I thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you're still concerned about the consumer. You're looking down. You're not like, <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're worried about the consumer. I don't know. I mean, listen, you know, Guy says this all the time, that the S&P is an overlay of consumer confidence. We've seen the consumer confidence. We saw the GDP. I mean, everything seems rosy here, people. I, You know, the stock market's at all-time highs. Like, like, Have at it. Have at it, Tim. I was coming. Everything seems great. <laughs> coming up, mark this day on your calendar. <laughs> everything seems to yeah. yeah. The major moves from today's session and how to trade them. Boeing slide continues. PayPal announcing its AI ambitions. And United Rentals rallies to be the S&P's top performer. But from the S&P's best performer to its worst, Tesla shares tanking, notching its worst day in a year. The EV slowdown shock and what Elon Musk had to say about the company's future. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing higher as investors digested strong GDP data coming in well above expectations, rising 3.3% in Q4. The data coming ahead of tomorrow's key PCE inflation data. The Dow jumping 242 points. The S&P up another half a percent, closing at another record high and now in a six-day winning streak. And the Nasdaq also climbed about two-tenths of a percent. Meantime, a couple of stock moves catching our eye today. Let's start off with Boeing. The stock tanking again after the Federal Aviation Agency announced a halt on expanding production of the 737 MAX 9 jets. Boeing says it's now, quote, unlikely to meet its production goals for 2025 and 2026. Bank of America also downgrading the company to a neutral from a buy. Boeing shares almost 23 percent lower just this year. Um, They also, Bank of America also cut its EPS estimates dramatically down to, what, 25 cents a share from two something um, to reflect the production. That's what gets interesting, because when this news broke, most analysts were like, I don't really see, you know, the economic impact. I understand that there's fear factor and, you know, but the FAA's digging in is what they have to do. And and what, uh, again, the analyst community follows through. You go neutral, you go neutral, maybe also on an EPS basis, but you're also looking for catalysts and when this is going to change. You've also had airlines now talking about, well, for 2024, we're going to not really go with Boeing. And, and to some extent, I think the order book can be delayed but not denied. Uh, and I think that's what's going on here. Um, I, I, I stay long Boeing. I'm not happy about this. Uh, I think longer term, this is going to prove to be an opportunity. When this first happened, we all said, how can they stand by the stock so readily? I mean, granted, we yep. didn't know what the impact was, but all these things take much longer mm-hmm. to unfold, typically than, you know, any other sort of recalls that happen. You know, the good news for Boeing is there's only Airbus, because if there were other people in the space, this would be potentially catastrophic. It's not. And also everything. And Tim would agree with this. Their defense business almost you're not getting it for free. I don't want it, but you're getting it at a huge discount given what's going on now. So 
I thought it would hold 200. It did. And you had about a you had a 7 percent bounce over the course of a couple of days. Not a big deal. Right back to 200 now. Now you got to wait and hear what they say on the 31st of January. All right. United Rentals, meantime, closing at a record high dating back to its IPO in December of 1997. The equipment rental company soaring nearly 13 percent after beating estimates, giving better than expected guidance for the year. URI also saying it plans to buy back one and a half billion dollars in stock this year and raise its dividend by 10 percent. Karen, you, you own this thing. Mm-hmm. Great conference call, you said. Well, yes. I mean, there was a lot to a lot to like here. And, you know, t- 2023, the numbers were really good, but it, it sort of hid some things that were in there. Like they did a large acquisition in December of 22. So that's expensive to integrate and to get them up to the United Rental, stand- Rental Standards. So that's sort of more opportunity to come. The business is great. The outlook is really good. We have, right, the infrastructure bill. And so that's just a, a huge runway for them. This is the kind of management team that under promises and over delivers every time. And there's been a huge transformation in this business. When I first looked at it a number of years ago, they had kind of more debt than I was completely comfortable with, but they could deal with it. It is a whole new story now, even after they've done a number of acquisitions and bought stock back. They have one and a half times turn of leverage, which is really not that much. All that having been said, up $75 was kind of a lot. I had to take some money off the table and sold some upside calls. Does the story get much better if interest rates go lower? Lower is better because building and for them, debt isn't as big an issue anymore. So if building is supported, yes. Um. Finally, let's get to PayPal, taking a dive midday and closing down more than 3.5%. The drop coming after the company announced it is launching new AI features and a one-click checkout option. Investors apparently unimpressed by the offerings. It was CEO Alex Chris's first new product announcement since joining the company in September. PayPal shares are down nearly 25% over the past year. I mean, the problem really was how he, he cast what was going to happen at this innovation day when he first joined. He said something like, it's going to be mind-blowing. I mean, how do you deliver on mind-blowing? I don't know why you set yourself up that way. But anyway, P.E. Well, was, is the P in your it, bicep? It, it is. PayPal is the P in bicep. <laughs> it's all right, it's all right, it's and early. I think it's going to flex some muscle. And I, and I tell you what, I think Alex Chris is going to flex some muscle. And I think he's four months on the job. And while some of these product announcements or innovations or enhancements weren't earth-shattering, the fact that he's got six to market in four months is more than people saw out of two years before that. They need to fix the checkout process. It's clunky. Um, I still think, you know, 11% earnings growth for this valuation, that's why it's the P in bicep. You know, Tim and I went to college together, and I remember this like it was yesterday. You know, he used to tell people this is going to be mind-blowing, only to have them extraordinarily disappointed in the aftermath. So you should probably, well, you think about it. There's a lot of different contexts from we could have had that conversation. Do you have commentary on the stock, or is this yeah. just a dig The beginning of the end was in, two, I think, 2021, when there was that rumor that went around that they were interested in Pinterest. Right. This was on the way down, mm-hmm. and the street said, you know what, they have to buy growth. That's not a good thing. They've never been able to recover from that. It's been downhill ever since. This is one that you trade in and out of. Yeah, I tried to come up with an acronym with a P, um, because I, I see a lot of the things that, I can that, think of a few. That, 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 Tim, <laughs> that Tim sees Begin in with this story. And, I, and I actually, Mel, to your point, it's like if this is your first, like is your kind of coming out, you know what I mean, as a new CEO, they've realigned the management structure. They brought in a lot of really great people. Um, they have a great core business. They have a great balance sheet. They trades at a very, uh, you know, uh, discount to many of its, mm-hmm. you know, kind of fintech sort of peers. <laughs> 
So Your looking team at, is laughing at himself. I'm looking, I'm looking I, at that. Um, How happy I am so happy. with my bicep. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I think that this thing being left out of the AI party right here, and that party is being very concentrated with some big names, I think that's fine. I think we're going to have lower lows at some point this year, and I think some of these names are going to look like unusual values. And maybe I will just change up my acronym. To what, Zebra? I don't yeah, I don't we even don't know. Do we that. can I don't, do that. No, no, you I cannot. I don't think we all have a good second. The way people played the rules in the, in the I mean, acronym like, game, yeah. you might as well change it, it because nobody followed the rules. That's true. I mean, Parents letters were for not. sectors, I mean, not tickers. I mean, it was okay. just yeah. the Wild West when it came to the acronyms. <laughs> not good. By the way, here's some behind the scenes, like a little look at how the acronyms are formulated. Ooh. Just before Tim unveiled his bicep, uh-huh. he was considering <laughs> switching out the P. Yeah. 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 No, it, in, in, in fact, it could, the, it, could, it, could have been, it could have been Peloton. Oh. So really, Out of the, the problem is that I don't think Peloton's going anywhere. Right. And, and, <laughs> and it would have been tough. But it really would have fit into the bicep. But just to show you folks at home how seriously we take our acronyms, <laughs> I, I dug deep and found a P that I really it cared about. Yeah. All right, coming up, Tesla's getting to its worst day in over a year after Elon Musk delivered vague guidance on Wednesday's earnings call. We'll kick the tires, look under the hood at the numbers, debate whether Tesla is still in the driver's seat of the EV trade. Plus, is the bottom in for the luxury trade. Champagne problems for LVMH as wine and spirits were the only disappointing part of a record year for revenues. We'll discuss the numbers over a tin of caviar next. Mm. Here at After Hours Lows, the CFO just commenting on the call saying we'll probably hit our peak startup costs in 2024. So that's a huge headwind. We'll have to deal with it so with this so to keep us going in the 60% follow-through range for the next couple of years. The stock is down 9.5% as this conference call is just about 45 minutes uh, in progress. Tim, do you have further questions that you would want to have answered as a shareholder? I I think we want to know how much of this really on the product development side is is somewhere within the realm of of expectation and that this isn't just about building out global foundry capacity and that this isn't just about trying to hold serve with shrinking data center. Uh, you know, I think this, the story has to be new product and that pipeline. All right. Uh, down 9.6% right now. Meantime, Tesla shares diving more than 12% after its earnings report last night. That is after CEO Elon Musk raised concerns over growth on the company's call. His comments sparking a slew of price target cuts on Wall Street. Philip Bo's got all the details here. Phil. Hey, Melissa, you know, when you listen to that call last night, and I encourage people to listen to that call, it really isn't clear where the slowdown is coming from that Tesla is warning about. And make no mistake, this was essentially a warning. It was not them saying your sales are going to drop, deliveries are going to drop, but they were saying notably lower on the delivery. So here's what we saw as a fallout from that call. You did mention price target cuts. We saw that from a number of analysts. Some went as far as to call the call, a uh, the conference call last night, a train wreck. That's the words of Dan Ives. He said that. Guidance lacked details, and that's an understatement. There are very few details from Tesla after hours yesterday. And as I mentioned, they used the words notably lower when talking about delivery growth. The street going into the call was expecting 2.1 million vehicles to be delivered this year. That would be an increase uh, of about 18%, 19% relative to last year. By the way, last year, deliveries were up 24%. year before that, up 40%. So clearly, the law of large numbers, plus the fact that the EV market globally is slowing down. And one other thing, Elon Musk did talk about increased competition. And where is it coming from? You guessed it, China. The Chinese car companies are the most competitive car companies in the world. 
Um, so I think they will have significant success uh, outside of China, uh, depending on what kind of tariffs or trade barriers are established. Uh, frankly, I think if, if, if there are not trade barriers established, they, they will pretty much demolish <laughs> most other car companies in the world. So they're, they're extremely good. One other thing, the next generation vehicle that came up on the call yesterday was a focus for a lot of people saying, well, the deliveries are slowing down as they get ready to transition to this next generation, lower priced vehicle expected to start production maybe in the second half of 2025. But Melissa, you know, when you listen to that explanation from people, why would your sales of your vehicles right now, deliveries slow down as you're transitioning to another vehicle? You're not slowing down production because you are saying we're going to take production out and move it towards this next generation vehicle. The bottom line is this. If you were expecting Tesla to have a gangbusters 2024, that's just not in the cards, at least not based on the call yesterday from Elon Musk. Yeah, I mean, on the call, he seemed to indicate that, you know, they were starting this up at Giga Texas because he wants all the engineers to live basically on the line and be there as it's, you know, continuously tweaked. Um, And that's why you're not putting it into another factory, because it's not something that you just set and go. And I, I get that. But as to, to your point, you're not taking production down. You're starting up a new line. Correct. So it seems sort of a curious Correct. You know, explanation to say we're going to have notably lower volume growth next year because of this transition. That's what spooked invest, uh, analysts, yeah. I should say, Melissa. They didn't get any details. They didn't get an explanation. And the lack of details and the vagueness in terms of deliveries next year, that's the reason that we're seeing all the price cuts uh, price right. target cuts that we've seen come out today. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. <clears throat> you bet. Um, you know, I, I also thought that he, they were not pressed too much about the details. They were not pressed about what the word notably meant when it came to the forecast of notably slower volume growth next year by the analyst community. I don't know if it was curated questions or what the dynamic was on that conference call yesterday, but it didn't feel like people were really asking those questions either. Yeah, I listened to it too. It seemed very curated. It seemed like they already actually knew what the questions were going to be and they knew what the answers were going to be. And some of them were actually scripted um, answers to them and they didn't take a whole heck of a lot. Um, Listen, I think Phil said it pretty adequately. I mean, some of the biggest bulls and some of them like Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley came out and they had raised their estimates based on things ex auto, right? All those other exciting things, robots and AI and all this other stuff. And it's not what you would value a company, in my opinion, that is an auto company. So they're trying to tell you it's not an auto company and you should look over here at all that stuff. But they didn't have a lot of great things to say about that either. And they were asked about some of those things about Optimus and and that sort of thing. So, I mean, to me, I, I did think it was a bit of a mess. I don't care. I'm not involved in the name. The stock's down 30% in a month. It's down 40% from its 52-week highs. It's down 50% from its all-time highs in late 2021. Earnings estimates for this year are going down. The operating margin in that last quarter were a disaster. I think some people will point to automotive gross margins that they kind of flattened out a little bit, but the gross margin's down more than 8% from a year ago levels that people were justifying a trillion-dollar market cap. It does not exist anymore. This is going to be a messy year, and all those other things that he pointed to that he's talking about, interest rates in China, they're not going away anytime soon. The part of the call that was sort of in the uh, governance issue of Elon being Elon and mm-hmm. talking about needing 25 percent, right. I do. That shouldn't be part of the sell off. I think it was, though. But I think if you're a Tesla owner 
and you are surprised by something Elon says. I mean, going back, do you remember when he took a picture of himself by the side of the road right. with a bankruptcy card, like it's, you know, sign in front of him? Right. The comments and, yesterday were yeah, nothing compared to Relative that. to that. And then, you know, funding secured and then I'm going to buy Twitter and then I'm going to be the CEO of Twitter. You cannot be surprised. You, I mean, you could say it was ridiculous to say, how could he do that? Yeah. So that shouldn't be part of the sell-off. All right. Coming up, are the lows in for luxury? LVMH surging on the back of results. So has the high-end hiatus come to an end? We'll dig into the details next. More Fast Money in two. <laughs> Guys laughing us into the show. Uh, welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of LVMH jumping almost 5% today. The company known for luxury brands, including Louis Vuitton and Christian Dior, seeing its revenue jump 10% in the holiday quarter. Its CEO telling analysts today he is very confident about 2024. LVMH is in Karen's acronym, mm. HELM. Yes. <laughs> All right, make fun of that. my acronym. Go ahead. I can take um, so it. Is the bottom in for luxury? I, I hope so. I mean, I think this got to a valuation on a price-to-earnings basis that was very low for them, the lowest in a long, long time. Part of what's gone wrong in the last year is China. And if, 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 big if, if China is bottoming, then that's very good for LVMH. Wines and Spirits really had a, had a pretty good quarter, probably because of all those shareholders of LVMH who owned the stock mm -hmm. during the fourth quarter of last year. It was a good time to drink. But I think there's a lot of pent-up demand, not quite yet, but from that, that Chinese traveler, uh, that Chinese consumer that we haven't seen yet. Selective retail is up 25%. Is that a read-through to, uh, that's a Sephora. To like an Estee Lauder, which mm. is it, 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 that's the E in your it's bicep. The going e back bicep. To the and again, it gives you a little China, it gives you a little discretionary, it gives you a little bit of a you know a stock that's been beaten up. So yeah, I think so. And I also like Diageo in a world where some of those spirits companies have been, have been beaten up by China. And Ulta. Ulta. Yeah. Up next, final trades. Final trades, Tim. Yeah, Staples, Hershey's. I almost forgot it, but Hershey's. <laughs> there it is. Aaron. <laughs> yes, it kills me to do it. They've done such an extraordinary job, but United Rentals, I had to sell some upside calls. Sam. Yeah, I like Tim's bicep. And I, I simply like the I know you and his bicep, the PayPal. I think you buy it on the way down in the five handle ish. Guy. So last break, you heard me giggling as we came back. I'll yes. tell you why, because Dan was in pain about something, and I found that amusing. Yeah. Now, people will say that's <laughs> cool. mean-spirited. I think it's actually funny. Uh, Wind Resorts is actually doing pretty well here, Melms. All right. By the way, checking on Intel, down 10% right now. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 